Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we are going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God. And we talked about it this morning, and we went into this uh, saying, Pacta Servanda Sunt, which means agreements must be kept. And uh, just minutes before the show began, I went to that webpage at preparingyou.com, and I added some more links, half a dozen or a dozen more links, uh, with quotes from the Bible, such as Exodus, Thou shalt make no covenants with them, nor with their gods. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of the universe, in creation itself, agreements must be kept. If you make agreements because you're made in the image of God, you are bound by those agreements. Now, you can make an agreement on a piece of paper and sign, you know, that I will do this and do that, uh, and you will do this and you do that, and if you don't do this, I don't have to do that. And you can be very detailed about it, uh, but it's the spirit of the agreement. That's the, that's the paper, but the paper doesn't make the uh, binding agreement. It's the intent that makes the binding agreement. So, uh, you know, we've given the example before uh, in shows in the past where if you were out in the wilderness and you were dying and you saw a goat with a collar on it and there was nobody around and if you didn't eat something really quick, you would perish and so you killed the goat and ate it. Have you stolen the goat? Because we also know that in the law of nature, necessity makes the law and if you... If you did not kill the goat and eat it, you would have died. That We're assuming that that's the facts. It's not really stealing if you are trying to pay the individual back for the value of the goat. If you Once you get on your feet, you go and try to reimburse them. It would not be considered stealing in the traditions of the common law because necessity makes the law. And a man's life is more important than a goat's life. Not... And some people may find that an affront, but the reality is the goat wouldn't be alive at all except for a herdsman somewhere who protects the goat and provides for the goat and helps the goat survive. Because it is a domestic goat. We saw the collar, so we know it belonged to somebody. It's not a wild goat. It is a goat that has become dependent upon its owner. That's also a part of the nature of things. That if you are dependent upon somebody, you may fall to the point of, maybe not even say fall, you you may be reduced to the point where you are dependent upon that person and you owe allegiance to that person because they sacrifice so that you might live. They feed you, they care for you, etc. We do that every day with children. Children owe their life to their parents. They didn't just spring out of a, a, a pool they came from labor, the labor of the husband, the labor of the wife, and etc. And all government is based on the labor and that natural relationship of the father. When the pharaoh labored for seven years to accumulate large amounts of grain, 
something I hear China is doing, Soviet Union is doing. America's not doing it anymore. America used to have, the United States used to have seven years supply of grain in silos on farms all over the United States every year. They had at least seven years supply. Sometimes they had eight, nine years supply. And, but they, even when they had droughts for a year after year, they still had seven years. That, that came out of the depression. And the government actually went out and bought grain from farmers. And the farmers put the grain in bins that were approved by the federal government. And the farmer could buy the grain back at almost what he paid for it. He'd have to pay a little bit like an interest, you know, 1%, 1.5% interest on, because he was borrowing money against the value of that grain. So the government literally had that grain as a surety for debt. And as that grain was a surety for the debt that the farmer was given, uh, he could not sell it until he satisfied that, that interest to the government. See, if if uh, a bushel of wheat was uh, $3 a bushel and he sold it to the government for $3 a bushel and he got that money and he was able to pay his expenses and, and live through the year because he paid that amount or he was paid that amount. Now, why would he do that? Well, if everybody sold all the grain they had in a good year, the price dropped. But if the government bought some of that grain so that there would be a surplus on the farm in the hands of the people, but belonging to the government because they loaned them the money against it, that would be something of value to all the people of America. And so it was not really welfare, but it was subsidizing the storage of grain on farms throughout the United States. And like I said, we had seven years supply, some years more. But then, if there was a failure in crops, all over, you know, a drought, like there was during the Dust Bowl, and they didn't produce as much grain, which happens in farming. I, I've, I've seen it many times. So, now, there's a shortage of grain, and the price might go up to $3.25 a bushel. It might go up to $3.50. It might go up to $4 a bushel. It'd be interesting to find out what it is right now. You can look that up and find out what what grain is go, going for a bushel. I, I bet you it's closer to five and six dollars a bushel. And so anyway, he could go and he could buy it back at three dollars a bushel plus you know one and a half percent or something, and then he could go out and sell it for four dollars a bushel because he has first right to buy that back, and that makes the Supply of food steady in America, which is very important. I mean, Egypt fell because the price of grain. Rome fell into the bondage of Rome because of the price of grain. The Israelites went into bondage in Egypt because of the price of grain. I don't hardly eat grain. I'm a herdsman. I eat meat. But the reality is, is that is about to happen again. Am I trying to tell you to go out and buy grain? No, I'm trying to tell you to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
We should have been doing that ourselves if we are really the government of the people and for the people and by the people. But instead, we've been doing what the Israelites did when they built the golden calf. We've cast our gold and silver into the streets of the civil authority. We have created a city of blood that depends upon men who exercise authority one over the other. And what I added to the page there at Pacta Sarvanda Sunt, agreements must be kept, is that uh, we were uh, our leaders were told and, and we were told ourselves not to oppress the stranger in our midst, not to oppress one another or oppress the strangers in our midst, not to force them to support us. That's oppression. To support, to make people provide for you, that's oppression. And if you oppress others, you will be pressed. And we talked about that in the morning show. And part of that oppression is to covet thy neighbor's goods and to set up systems whereby you can force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That would be a sin in the eyes of Christ, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the Old Testament, in the eyes of the New Testament, because it's a covetous practice. And it's, I mean, it's, it's simple. If, if you want to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, to give up his labor, his sweat, his toil, uh, some of his savings to provide benefits for you and you want to make him do it, you're coveting your neighbor's goods. Nobody who does that can honestly call themselves a Christian, a follower of Christ, because he said not to covet your neighbor's goods. You're not a follower of the church established by Christ because he said it was not to be that way with us. That we covet our neighbor's goods. You know, and we certainly shouldn't make contracts with men who exercise authority so that we could covet our neighbor's goods. Because in Exodus 23:32 it says, Thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their gods. Now, Dennis Prager's doing a study on the Bible and he's already gone through Genesis and Exodus. Is he pointing this out in his shows? Not really, hardly, vaguely mentions it. Does suggest that we might get away from welfare. But he's not saying out loud. At least I haven't heard him say it yet. He's got thousands of followers. All kinds of people think that he's a great Jew and an advocate of Christianity. But I don't hear him saying that the synagogues and churches of America and of the world have abandoned the way of Jesus Christ and the way of Moses because they're the same way. Yeah, they're actually the same way. We talked about that this morning. If you disagree with that, you have to go listen to the morning show. And when the Lord, thy God, shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenants with them nor show mercy unto them. Now, that you know, I might take that off and, and just put that in the footnotes because people aren't going to understand that. They're not. They're going to think, "Oh, God is so ruthless." Talking about smiting them and showing no mercy. Well, you know, if if somebody were lazy and selfish, squandering all the money they have, you gave them. Say, you gave them five hundred dollars to take care of their family because they were in need. And they went out and spent it on drugs. Should you give them another $500 the next day? 
Now, you might have to take care of their family, but I'm not sure I would give it to them the next day. You might say, well, you're not being merciful. You're not forgiving them. They they want to be forgiven. Well, I might do it again and again. And, of course, we have a parable in, in, in Christ that talks about forgiving them seven times seventy. Well, he, he wants you to forgive them, but he doesn't want you to be stupid. He doesn't want you to weaken them. Yeah, I mean, you can tell when they're lying a lot of times. If they go right out and buy more drugs, don't give them another $500. You're, you're squandering the resources that God gave you. That's actually showing mercy to say, no, you've got to sober up. You've got to give up drugs or I'm not going to help you anymore. I'm not going to feed you. That's showing mercy. So we could go in the actual Hebrew there in that Deuteronomy 7.2 and find out what they mean by utterly destroyed. What are the Hebrew words there? That's one of the things Dennis Prager is supposed to be doing, going through and, and looking at these words. I don't think he's getting it right. And he can speak Hebrew. He studied Hebrew since he was a kid. But he studied it in synagogues that tell you that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of government. All those men in the synagogues are going to the government to take care of the widows and orphans of their synagogues. The same as Christians are going to the government that exercises authority one over the other to take care of their widows and orphans and the needy of their society. And and they have set up systems that it is just, you know, 101 covetous practices. And, and they, they continue to do this. Why do they continue to do that? When we know that Christ said that we were not to be that way. So, I mean, it also says in Proverbs 23, 1, and we could go to Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 10, and it's all over the place in the Bible, and most of the prophets talk about it. When thou sittest and eat with a ruler and consider diligently what is before thee and put a knife to your throat if thou be a man given to appetite. In other words, you want those, you want what he has to offer on his table. Be not desirous of his dainties, it tells you in verse 3, for they are deceitful meats. We talked about that, and there's, I mean, there's dozens of quotes, and now we're, there's actually several links. There's a link to an article, uh, there, uh, with the word knife and the word dainties. That's probably the best one to go to, but you can also go to Proverbs and see the same thing. But they will take you back to these other articles that explain what the dainties of the kings are. And of course, everybody who's a Christian should know what the dainties of the king is. Because Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. David talked about it. It's it's what he gives you on his table. And this is what the, the, the old prophets were always talking about. Their feasts are spotted. And, and James talks about pure religion being unspotted. Pure religion being how you take care of the needy of your society. It had to be unspotted by the world, which was the constitutional order and system of government, which I talked about this morning. And now, just before the show, I put links in there so you could see what I'm talking about. Because Matthew 20.25 tells us, you know, Jesus called them unto him and said, hey, You know, 
that the princes, that's the rulers of the Gentiles, other nations, Gentiles is other nations, exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. And, and he says, we see Mark reporting the same thing in Mark ten forty two that Jesus called them unto him, and and you know they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles. That's the princess again. Same thing. He's talking exercise lordship, exercise dominion. Same thing. Sometimes it's the same words and they just translate it a little bit different. I don't know what, what the point of that is, but they do it. And then that, uh, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. And in Luke twenty two twenty five, I love that one the best of all. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles, the rulers, the presidents, the prime ministers of the Gentiles, who exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority, that would be the guys who work for them, uh, upon them are called benefactors. That's, you know, Social Security. That's the benefit. Social Security is your benefactor. That's your benefactor is men who exercise authority. Because Social Security is not supported by free will offerings. It's supported by forced offerings. So anyway, we went all over all that this morning. I've gone over it so many times. Everybody should get it. You would think you'd sit down with any Christian and you explain, well, Jesus is saying it's not to be that way with us. But it is that way with you. It's that way with you for education. It's that way with you with health care. It's that way with you to take care of your parents. It's that way with you with Medicare and Medicaid. It's all provided by men who call themselves benefactors. But they're men who exercise authority one over the other. And Jesus says it was not to be that way with you. And when he's saying that as an explanation, that's got to be the doctrines of Jesus. And of course, we also know that we're not supposed to covet our neighbor's goods. And and Peter says that, that you'll become merchandise if you do. And certainly, if you want the benefits of men who are going to only give you what they take away from others, that is a covetous practice. Which is why you're back in bondage. But this is on a page called Pacta Servanda Sun. And over there on the side of the page is a picture of FDR signing the Social Security Act with a bunch of his buddies, which we talked about this morning. And you know, I have a quote there from his son-in-law, who knew him at the time, was an advisor to the White House, was married to his daughter, but he had a problem with what FDR was doing. And he was eventually pushed out. They were upset with him. But he wrote a book in 1967. And I link to the source of that book on the page. So you can go get it if you want to read it. But I quote a large portion of it there in the side panel. But what brought you into bondage was not FDR. It wasn't Social Security. It wasn't the Federal Reserve. What brought you into bondage is your covetous practices. What brought you under tribute was your slothfulness in the practices of Christ. You know, the pure religion, the perfect law of liberty, of loving your neighbor as yourself, of not oppressing the people in your midst. That's all. You'd be slothful in what God has been teaching us for thousands of years. And even 
not only God, but the prophets of God and, and even men like Polybius and Plutarch who said that, you know, when the masses become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, they would institute the rule of force and violence. In other words, they would not depend upon free will offerings anymore. They would not gather in free assemblies to take care of one another. They would not care about one another as much as they care about themselves. You know, I, I was on Facebook uh, briefly with my phone uh, this afternoon before I came in here and set up the show. And I quickly looked and see if uh, there was anything going on that I should know about <laughs> with the people that I know. And I saw somebody I know, known him for quite a while now, talking about of things to come and what we should be doing. He's talking about, you know, drive your own car. In other words, probably, I guess, not be borrowing money to buy your car, get a job, work, become self-sufficient, all these things, what you need to do. Get married, homeschool your kids. All great ideas. But where was repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because all these Christians out there, they're not repenting of this covetous practice. And the reason why is they're not going to the church established by Jesus Christ for their daily bread. They're not they're not praying to God for their daily bread. They're praying praying to the gods of the world that we saw there in Exodus 23:32. You were not to make agreements with them nor with their gods. They're ruling judges who decide whether or not you can have an abortion or not have an abortion whether or not you owe, you know, half of your labor or 20% of your labor to Pharaoh, I mean the federal government. You see, you're all back in the bondage of Egypt and you're back in the bondage of Egypt because the churches you have been going to have not been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've been preaching the gospel of Constantine. Because Constantine said it was okay to desire benefits from men who exercised authority. Now, to be fair, Constantine was trying to move the people to a system where they contributed to ministers like the Christians did. The Christians met every week and those that had extra shared with those that didn't have enough because that's what John the Baptist said. If your neighbor has no coat and you have two, share. Do the same in meat. So that means if you have some extra food and they don't have enough during these dearths and famines, share. And of course we see Paul going all over the Roman Empire and even outside of the Roman Empire and sharing funds from this part of Christianity and that part of Christianity to this part over here of Christianity. We see him transporting funds because there's dearths, there's depressions, there's shortages of grain. And the Christians did not go to the temple of Caesar or FDR to apply for his welfare and benefit. They had their own system set up, which we call a daily ministration, where they went from house to house and rightly divided the bread from house to house. And we see there in 150 A.D. where, where Justin is saying, this, this is the way we do it. Telling the emperor, this is the way we do it. We meet every week and those that have extra share with those that don't have enough. And, and he was telling the emperor, because we know how the emperor was doing it. He was doing it the way FDR did it. The way LBJ did it. The way Obama did it. The way 
Trump did it. They took from the people and had enough to give to the people. But actually, they don't have enough to give to the people. Because we've gone a long ways down the wrong road. They borrow against the future of your children so they would have enough to give to the people. So that they could buy grain and bread, you know, provide free bread. They don't actually go out and buy grain and build. They just buy bread. You know, and we've seen that. They've been doing that for years. All the while, you guys have been going to churches, singing in your churches. Because, why? Why? Why has all this been going on? Because you're under a strong delusion, which we talked about again this morning, that God said he would send a strong delusion. And why did he say that? Well, you have to go listen to the morning program or go to, go to I have a link there on the page where it, it will link you to the article that talks about a strong delusion. And, and why that God sends this strong delusion. And there's a reason why he sends this strong delusion. And you need to find out what that reason is. If you're one of those people who have been coveting your neighbor's goods to men who exercise authority. Because that's not following Christ. That's not loving your neighbor as yourself. And you can do all the prep work you want. You're not going to make it. We were just talking this morning uh, with people who I know, known for years and years and years, who have an insight. They see things that other people don't see. And they were telling me what they see and it's what I see. So I have kind of an extra witness that, yeah, I know what's coming. But I know the answer is to actually do what Christ said to do. Which was, he said a lot of things to do. One thing he says that we weren't to be of the world, but in order to be of the world and get the benefits of the world, we have to go down and register with the world. And we even have to register our children with the world so that we can get the benefits of the world. But we're supposed to be getting the benefits of God. You know, just... Just 150 years ago, all the social welfare in the country was mostly passing to, you know, the, that didn't come from your actual family, was coming to the churches. But then FDR had this better idea. And, and we explained this morning showing what his son-in-law said, that FDR was influenced by other people that had been planning this for a long time. And now, on that page, I added a link this morning to another article we have about who some of those people are. And we've been talking about it in our banking series. So, the creation of notes instead of just weights and measures. Am I advocating everybody go back to gold and silver? Well, I mean, obviously, that is advocated in the Bible. But it isn't going to do you any good if you go back to using gold and silver. You know, you, you, if you even get enough of it, that's not going to do you any good because that, the, the casting of your gold and silver into the civil authorities of government, which is what's happened. I mean, when you went down and got notes, 
back in, say, go, go back when the first notes first started coming out back in 1913 is when they passed it, but they didn't pass it till just a couple of days before the end of the year, the, uh, two days before Christmas. They probably didn't get the notes going until probably, you know, uh, 1914. 1915, and they weren't pervasive because there were already notes in circulation, but they were with other banks. But they steadily, over the next 10 years, 20 years, they steadily cornered the market on notes. And But you could still go into any bank and hand them, you know, a $20 bill and get a $20 gold piece. Yeah. 2015, you'd go right in there. 2020, 2025, you could go right into... I'm saying 2000, 1915, 1920, 1925, you could go into any bank and hand them a $20 bill and get a $20 gold piece. That is worth over $2,000 today, but you could do it with a $20 bill back then. Because you were redeeming those bills in lawful money, because gold was lawful money, silver was lawful money. You could, you could get 20 silver dollars for a $20 bill. You could do that in 1935. You could do that in 1945. You could do that in 1965. You could do that in 19... Well, wait a minute now. Could you do that in 1965? If you went in in 1965, they could give you silver dollars. And they might give you silver dollars. But they might give you clad coin. They, if they gave you dollars, you'd get silver dollars because they weren't making clad silver dollars. But quarters, that's clad coin. There was hardly any silver in those whatsoever. And those of you who listen regularly know that Rome did all the same kind of stuff. A little bit different pattern, but I mean, they took the silver out of the silver coin. You know, Sparta had done that a long time before. They had turned all their coins into lead. In Egypt, many of their coins were clay. Because they had a lot of clay. And they could bake the clay and, and then you use that as money. But all this is to bring you into bondage. But what brings you into bondage is your covetous practices. Of desiring benefits from your neighbor and willing to use force to get them. Because that's against the doctrines of Christ. That's really clear. You're not it's not to be that way with you means it's not to be that way with you. And he says it three times. Which makes it pretty permanent. I mean that's that's why they we see on the cross a plaque made by Pontius Pilate said, this is the king of the Jews, this is the king of the Jews, and this is the king of the Jews in three languages, three times. Because they understand how the mysteries of the universe work. Unfortunately, most Christians don't know that. Or most modern Christians. They're not real Christians. They like to think they're real Christians. And maybe they could become real Christians, but they would have to repent. They would have to think differently. They'd have to think like Christ. Because they're not thinking like Christ today. And I mean, it's it's almost impossible to get through to some of these people, even though this is just so obvious, just jumping out at you. And yeah, I do repeat myself a lot of times about this because I talk about it every week and show after show. But I approach it from a lot of different ways. 
Now, the mechanism of your bondage is, you know, we also explain that. You know, like I said, there were lots of notes around when the Federal Reserve was created, but they weren't three-party notes in most cases. There were two-party notes. There was the bank who had a deposit of gold and silver, and they issued notes based on their deposit, if they were honest, and they gave you notes, and those notes were good at that bank. Occasionally, they made more notes than they should have, or somebody didn't pay a debt, and so they weren't as liquid, or the gold was at another branch, and so they had all these problems, and so because of the dishonesty of men, I mean, you just see the movie Stagecoach? Wasn't that what was going on in the movie Stagecoach? He was taking a gold deposit, but he was taking the gold out and leaving the notes behind because he knew the notes had no value because he had the gold. And, of course, he got caught at the end of that. That's a old John Wayne movie, great classic movie. But notes were not cash. You're already in a cashless society. You already own nothing. And you were happy with that until COVID. <laughs> and now until the banking collapse and the runaway inflation. You're not going to be so happy anymore. But you already own nothing. And we explain how that works. But again, I'm not making the Federal Reserve or, or Edward Mendel House or the Warburgs or FDR the bad guys. You're the bad guy. Because you're not doing what Christ said. You're not actually loving one another in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is what the early church was doing, taking care of one another and providing what they needed to one another during the dearths that were inevitable to come because the government was collapsing. Constantine, a couple hundred years later, needed more funds to fund his army. And so, of course, he killed his partner and his partner's family and confiscated all of his partner's family's wealth. That's why he had to kill everybody. He had to kill all the kids, everybody, so that nobody could inherit the, the and then, then it reverted to the state. And and we're supposed to think that he was a Christian, starting, you know, legalizing the Christian church. Christ legalized the Christian church when he died on the cross and Pontius Pilate said, this is the king of the Jews. The people legalize the church every day that they did the will of Jesus Christ because they knew there was another king. And they knew that he said, don't be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority, but to love one another. And so that's what the early Christians were doing. They were taking care of one another. They had their pastors or shepherds or ministers, whatever you want to call them. But what were they doing? They were rightly dividing the bread from house to house so that no Christian had to go to the men who exercised authority one over the other to get their daily bread or their benefits. Because Christ said it was not to be that way with you. Constantine said it was okay. The Pope says it's okay. The Presbyterian Church says it's okay. The Assembly of God says it's okay. The Jehovah Witnesses say it's okay. I don't say it's okay. I say what Jesus says. I'm with him. Are you with him? Or are you still thinking it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to get the free stuff you want from government? The, the fellow who posted on Facebook, he doesn't want the free stuff that comes from government. I don't know that he's really sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But 
I don't know. I don't know. I think he could. And I think you could. But, you know, if you can find a church that's doing this already, great. You know, join their living network. I can't find them. I think they're out there. I think we're, you know, we're kind of stuck up. Some people see us, but we're not well known. I mean, as well known as we could be. I think, like I, I told somebody the other day, when we're well known, time is short. But we've laid this out so that people can understand it. And I've said it over and over again. There's already audios on that page, Pakta Savanta Sun. But now that page has been expanded. I've added numerous, numerous links just today. But it's not the only page I've worked on. You know, people want me to finish the book that I have worked on. And I really ought to do that. But I have to do it according to what Christ is giving me time to do each day. I mean, I put in, I put in the hours. I put in the work. I put in the labor. But I have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I have to believe that, you know, and I struggle to believe, not struggle to believe, but struggle to listen to what God is telling me in my heart about what I should write about. So I started writing about this banking series because I want you to start banking on the kingdom. And then this morning I, I made it real clear what the reserve fund is in the world and what is in that reserve fund in the world and what is in the reserve fund in the kingdom of God. A reserve fund, there's a there's a page that preparing you that talks about a reserve fund. Love to have somebody start going through and taking a lot of these pages that we've worked on and turn them into PDFs and then we'll load them up to hisholychurch.org. And then people can print them out and they can put them in notebooks or whatever and, and start teaching their children what Christ really said. And if you can find where I'm saying what Christ didn't say, you let me know because I, I could be wrong. I can't find anybody who can show me I'm wrong. I can find people who say I am wrong, but they can't show me where I'm wrong. I'm just not saying what they want to hear. But Christ didn't come to say what you want to hear. He came to say what you need to hear. And so we have a page on the Federal Reserve. It talks a little bit about the Federal Reserve, Woodrow Wilson, and Mendel House. We have links to that. There Reese Commission. I'll probably add more and more to that. There's a link there to reserve funds. What are reserve funds? That's what the bank depends upon in order to, you know, pay out those gold coins and silver coins. They don't do that anymore. They did that up until 1933 and then they stopped paying out the gold. They still paid out the silver, but they stopped paying out the gold. They did still pay out the gold but not to U.S. citizens. Why? Because U.S. citizens were going to become surety to debt. They had to pay foreign, you know, sheiks and rulers. But they didn't have to pay you because you were already starting to take benefits. But then they wanted to prove, they wanted to number you so that they could prove that you were eligible for the benefits. So they created the Social Security system where everybody got numbered. And then you were numbered in the system. You were eligible for those benefits. And then the, later on, they would say, like, driver's license is a benefit. Well, of course, 
Ration stamps will be a benefit too if they ration food. If there's a shortage of food, which it looks like there will be, they could ration food. You you don't get any grain. You don't get any bread. You can only buy so much food at the stores. I mean, all this EBT card stuff and everything has been putting a system into place so that they could ration food. And you won't you won't be able to go in the store and buy it unless you have that number. So everybody needs that number. Unless, of course, you want to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But you have to do it for real. You can't fake it. And that's what Constantine was doing. He was faking it. He, he wasn't really going to do what Christ said. And the Constantinian, and we're going to do a whole series on that. The Constantinian church began to blend with the real church. Because they had durst during Constantine's time and, you know, Constantine II and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they were the, the ministers they were picking, like from the Edict of Milan on, uh, some of the ministers they were picking, they had already been in the business of providing a daily bread through the government of Rome. But now they were going to do it like, supposedly like Christians. They were going to do it through free will offerings. But Constantine knew that he couldn't do it all through free will offerings because these people were going to have to learn. So he jump-started it, if we can use that modern term by giving them millions and millions of dollars that he stole from other people by killing their whole families. And this was the, the birth of the the New Deal Christian Church. And that New Deal Christian Church went on for centuries. And they, they tried to reform from time to time. And some of those reformers were actually getting back close to the ways of Christ. But some of them were not. And so there's this mix. And so when you look at the history of the church, sometimes you're looking at a Constantinian church and a Constantinian doctrine. And sometimes you're looking at Christ's doctrine. But now it's gotten to the point where you can point out that you're all engaged in covetous practices contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And they can't see it. Because they have steadily moved into darkness. And they can't see it. They don't even know what they have to repent of. They think they believe in Jesus because they say they believe in Jesus. But they do the opposite of what Jesus' doctrines tell us. And they have another king that is not one Jesus. Another ruler. You know, like Trudeau. He's the king in Canada. Oh, we don't call him king because that's, you know, kind of bad. We call him the prime minister. And you could vote him out, supposedly. I mean, the, the king in the United States right now appears to be Joe Biden. But it's an office. You know, it's not, I mean, he's not really making the decisions. You know, I can go way back to 1960s with the Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas who says, Canute George III, it's not the president. He says it's the vast federal bureaucracy. That's the new George III. Well, the beginning of the Federal Reserve was going to expand that federal bureaucracy, not because the Federal Reserve is a part of that bureaucracy. It is a bureaucracy, but it's not of the federal government. But, you know, people want to argue that sometimes. Oh, well, no, it's created by the government, and, and there's kind of an overlap there because there's kind of an allyship between the Federal Reserve and the federal government which is what fascism is all about, <laughs> where, where corporations ally themselves uh, with the government, use the strong arm of the government to do their will. 
That's fascism. And, of course, you've had that for a long time. I mean, FDR was a democratic socialist. Hitler was a democratic socialist. Uh, Woodrow Wilson was really a democratic socialist. I mean, he was a democrat. And he certainly was a socialist. And he certainly was a racist. I mean, he was the one who was showing movies in the White House of the KKK. He's the one that started creating more separation of blacks and whites in America. He was, especially in the military, because he had control over that. That's Woodrow Wilson. But he was instrumental in creating this Federal Reserve. And we, I mean, you could go on, I mean, the history is rich there, but, you know, like I was pointing out this morning, most people don't know it. And if you go on Wikipedia, you're not going to find out. You're going to hear that his son-in-law was a white supremacist. His son-in-law had a problem with some of the stuff that going on. Some of the problems with uh, Wilson as well, because he he was in the military during the time of Wilson. But nobody's going to hear that because they want to live in dark. They don't like the light. They don't like the truth. So anyway, under. Our page on Federal Reserve, we have several headings. These may change by the time you hear this because I'm changing things all the time because I'm adding more. And so I, I put in these extra headings so you can kind of find out where we're, what we're talking about and organize this thinking in your mind. So, you know, I have a little section on real money. Well, we know that Federal Reserve notes are not real money, that they are, and they have no value. They're notes. You can use them as money, or probably a better legal term. I talked to somebody about this. You can use them for money. That would be the legal way to state that, because in legal terms, to say for means instead of. So, yeah, Federal Reserve notes are used for money in America. But it's not real money, because it has no real value. But the bad thing about it, it's not that, I mean, it used to be redeemable and lawful money, not for you anymore, not even for the Sheikh of Saudi Arabia. It was redeemable and lawful money for the Sheikh of Saudi Arabia until 1977. But now he can't even redeem them. Now, is China, can they redeem them? <laughs> well, this, this gets into the complicated stuff that we are talking about this morning, not on the program, but between the program, as to what is coming. Because what is coming is prophesied. It's detailed prophecy. But there's no point in me telling you until you're willing to see the light and repent and seek the kingdom of God. It would just be too scary to tell you what is prophesied. And and I'd just be wasting my breath trying to tell you. So I'm not going to tell you here. I mean, if you want to join the network and then ask your minister in the network and then your minister can ask me and I can point out some of these things. But I won't, I won't even tell you everything then because you never know who's listening on the phone. I don't, I want them to think that I don't know what's going on. <laughs> the bad guys. What you need to have going on is Christ in your heart. And if Christ was in your heart, you'd know that these are covetous practices and we shouldn't be doing them. But a subheading under real money is lacking value. Federal Reserve notes have no value. Now we cover a lot of this stuff in the books, Covenants of the Gods and Thy Kingdom Come. And those books are all available online for free. We just put them out there for free. I mean, there's, you don't have to give your social security number 
or your email or anything, you you can just go on the website. You got to go to hisholychurch.org and and search for him in the search engine, but you you can find him there. So, what was the real purpose of creating this three-party note system? Well, we explained that also. And I, I could probably put links. I'll, I'm saying it now, so when I'm listening to the audios before we upload them, I will I will maybe put in a link. I may already have it in there to legal title. There's so much here. I can't even remember where it all is. But I'm trying to put it in an organized way so you can go through and study programs and find it. But the Federal Reserve notes are legal tender. They're a legal offer. They can only buy legal title to property. They cannot buy lawful title with legal tender. And so therefore, because everything you buy with legal tender in a three-party note system, that thing becomes collateral for the debt. Well, we're not selling people anymore like selling our children, but actually we are because we want benefits. We have to put our children down and our children's social security number down so that we can count them as a surety for the debt, and then they will give us benefits. They will give us a reduction in what we owe. But we owe because we coveted our neighbor's goods and we wanted benefits from men who exercised authority at the expense of our neighbor, and we went back into the bondage of Egypt. And we've been in the bondage of Egypt for years and years. They're just kind of sewing up the bag, so to speak. You know, what the bag is, is they, when you're dead, they put you in a bag, they sew up the bag, and they throw you into the sea. <laughs> you know, if you're in, in, you know, that's in stories about prison. That, that That's how they get rid of you. And that's where you're at. But that's okay, because if you repent now, start seeking the kingdom of God, God will intervene. But without God, you're not going to make it. So there's no point in me telling you what's coming, until you repent and start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, because you're going to need God. You're not just going to need information. But we're showing you, you don't own your land. You know you don't own your land, because if you stop paying taxes on it for a couple of years, they take it all away from you, and they give you nothing back. Because you don't own it. You have legal title. And right in the definition of legal title, which we have, you look up legal title at preparing you, we have the definition right out of the law dictionary. It doesn't include the beneficial use of the property. You don't own it. So when he says, you know, you want to own your own car, you want to own your own land, you don't. You could, but you have to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that, what that curtails probably more than anything else, is you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You have to care about your neighbor's freedom your neighbor's liberty, your neighbor's children, your neighbor's possessions as much as you care about your own. And the way to show me that you do that is you sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start actually caring about your neighbor, which is what I said in the last program. You have to breathe, in the program before that, you have to breathe life back into care. Because at Bohemian Grove, you know, that was what they were doing. They had a play there when uh, that one uh, talk show host went there, snuck in, did all that filming years ago. And uh, 
you could probably find it on somewhere, uh, the Bohemian Grove, where he filmed what they were doing. They were putting on a play. And the name of the play was The Killing of Care. Because that's what social welfare through the state does. It, you end up caring about yourself. I mean, Dennis Prager just made a big uh, video in one of his talks, 239. The number sticks in my head. I think that's the number. Where he says the most ungrateful people are the, the most miserable people and the people you don't want around you. Well, who is the most ungrateful people? People who have become addicted to entitlements. They think that the government owes them. They don't realize that they're the reserve fund of the government, that the government owns them. It doesn't owe them anything. They're going to find that out. But unfortunately for a lot of people, they'll find out when they're too late. But I, the government doesn't owe me anything. I owe God everything. And and one of the things God wants me to do is care about you as much as he care, I care about myself. So that's what I'm focusing on. And I, I so I want to have everybody else starting to do what Christ actually said. So I have another section in here under real, under lacking value. I have real purpose. Where the real purpose is to do what Klaus Schwab said, where you own nothing and you're still happy. But he didn't care if you stay happy, but you be content enough that you just go along with it. But the other section is real elements. Wealth is like unto the blood of society. Debt is the antithesis of whether uh, of wealth. Debt is the opposite of wealth. And debt notes uh, have no value. I can actually see a mistake. I have to fix that. They they actually are the reverse of that. And when you become surety for the debt, you are back in the bondage of Egypt. Where a portion of your labor goes to pay the interest. It doesn't it doesn't fund government. It funds the banks that are loaning money to the government. And and lately you've noticed that they've been uh, loaning out more and more. They're borrowing more and more money to provide you, you know, stimulus checks and benefits and everything. Uh, they're just putting it on steroids. They're just sealing it up. They're sealing your fate. You're sealing your fate because you have failed to repent. Now, there's time to repent because it doesn't take long to repent. And there's time to start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But there isn't enough time to get there. But with God's grace, He can intervene. But it's going to take sacrifice on your part. You have to go to sacrifice your right eventually to the entitlements. I'm not telling you to get rid of your number and all that kind of nonsense. I'm saying seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Start sitting down and caring about one another. Start becoming the welfare of the state of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is a government. It's a form of government. It has ministers. It has a daily administration that takes care of the needy. But if you want God to come and save you in the days that are coming, in the days of wrath, which are the days of consequence for what you've been doing for the last 100 or more years, that's that's the wrath. That's what we talked about that a couple of shows back. The wrath of God is the consequences of going the opposite way that God says to go. 
to going against the will of God. It's not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father. If you haven't been doing the will of the Father, if you have been coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority, you're on the wrong side of prophecy. You're on the side of destruction. You need to repent and turn around and go the other way. And there isn't enough time for you to go the other way, all the way. And I'm not even sure where all the way is. Because it's an infinite kingdom. But if you repent, and sincerely, with your whole heart, mind, and soul, start seeking the kingdom of God, start caring about others, the other sons of God. We're all children of God. Some of us are bad children. (laughs) We've been really bad, bad children. But we're still children of God. Now, if we repent, And do what the Father says. Who is the real child of God? You know, he has a whole parable about that. The guy who said, I'm going to do it. That's what people say when they go to church. I'm going to follow Jesus. But then when they find out following Jesus means they have to stop coveting their neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. Well, I don't want to follow them that far. I don't want to go that way. But that is the way of Jesus. That is the way of the early church. It's not the way of the modern church. It's not the way of the modern home church. They're still going to Caesar for their daily bread. They say they're praying to Jesus. But they're not. So anyway, there's a lot more on this. I I should mark down where I am so that we can come back to that. But uh, come to Preparing You. Follow the network links. Join the network. Start seeking other people. If you're already in home churches, start preaching this message. If you have questions on the network, we will answer those questions as best we can, if God willing. Uh, But you need to turn around and go the other way. You need to think differently. Stop thinking like Constantine and start thinking like Christ. Start thinking like the early church and not like the modern church. Start walking the way of Christ. Because time is running out. Until then, peace upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.